Welcome to The Pursuit of Purpose, a podcast made possible by Skylife Success, a SkyPass group company. Join Krish Dunham, an author and speaker whose messaging has been described as the junction where God's ability and man's availability meet hope's accessibility. Greetings and welcome to another episode of The Pursuit of Purpose. As another podcaster says, I hope the start to your day is amazing. Thank you for the continued likes on the podcast in terms of its reach and the new subscriptions on the YouTube channel as well. Today's message is simply titled Lazarus Come Out, and most of you know this in some way will deal with Lazarus, the twice dead friend of Jesus. But before we get into the motifs we're going to paint by just looking at the Word of God, let's look at a story that I find fascinating. And it comes, I think, from through legend, part of it, and part of it may be myth, but I love the outcome of the story in general. It seems there was a soldier who was very disgruntled. He did not like the command he was given. He did not like the conditions in which that command was given. He was tired of the constant change of weather, the lack of comfort in the surroundings, being hunkered down in a bunk. He was discouraged with the constant barrage of orders that came from those above him and the desire to follow those orders. He lamented on the fact that he was far away from those that loved him and almost felt that the confinement was closing in on him. And one day he decided enough was enough and he wanted to leave. He decided he wanted to exit and he wanted to exit in such a way that he would just go away from where he was and he wouldn't have any other thing to do with where he was. Now, when a soldier decides to leave his assignment, when a soldier decides to leave the barracks, when the soldier decides to leave his battalion, he is considered AWOL, absent without leave. It is considered a penalty in the military court of law or some kind of penalty or punishment will be awarded to the person who disappears without written relief. As he left the base, as he left the encampment, he arrived in a ravine, and in that ravine he suddenly realized that the torrential waters that had been erstwhile a downpour that had given him a cover in his exit were now rising slowly. Suddenly he found himself in waist-deep water as he was trying to escape. Darkness had already descended because he used the evening time to exit the camp. As it grew increasingly dark, as the weather above began to pummel him, as the waters beneath him began to rise, he realized he was in trouble. He came to a slight clearing and he saw a structure he could not make out what he was. But the structure had a protrusion on it and he swam towards it. He climbed onto that protrusion and the protrusion had some kind of angles built into him. So he clasped his arms around it. He clasped his legs around the base of that structure and he hung on for dear life. Many hours passed, the weather began to calm down and the morning rays of sun started to slowly creep over that place. And as the light began to emanate and his eyes began to get used to the fact that darkness was no longer around but light had begun, he saw the debris and destruction all around him. In noticing that, he looked down and realized that he was on top of a steeple. What he was actually clinging to was a cross. 
in his desire and desperation to get away from authority, from, from rules, from regulations, from society, from condemnation, in his desperate desire to get away from the peril of nature and the swarm of water. His last words, he remember, were, Christ of my life, Lord of my youth, save me. And when he woke up and the day had broke, he realized he had been saved because he was clinging to the cross. Now, the reason I share that story is just to give you some kind of motivation, some kind of hope, because there is a foundational faith in all of us that allows us to have this pursuit of purpose and cling to something. And when we cling to the rock, the chances are that that immovable rock is the one that will allow us to withstand. Why then the story of Lazarus? Because Lazarus has some edicts going on in his life because after all, he was a friend of Jesus. Now, where Jesus was when word came to him that Lazarus was sick was a couple of miles away. He had already begun to be hunted by the Jewish people around him. They had tried to stone him at a previous place. The disciples said, don't go. You know what befalls you if you do arrive. Some others said, let's go right away. He said, no, let's wait. When they talked about the different things, people began to realize that Jesus had a method behind his madness. When he arrived, his Martha, the sister of Lazarus, heard that Jesus was on the way and she ran up to meet him and she said, My Lord, if you had come sooner, Lazarus would live, would have been still alive. But Jesus had a point to prove. You see, he had already healed the sick at that point. He had already taken care of the lame. He had already given sight to the blind. He had cleansed out people who had been afflicted with skin conditions. He had done so many miracles. He had driven out the fear. He had driven out the spirits. He had driven out the demons. What is left to conquer in a life that has already been so miraculous but is now being hunted? What if the ultimate act would be to show that he was the son of the living God and could indeed raise someone from the dead? This pursuit, this purpose was so paramount because Jesus comes to where the stone is already rolled in front of Lazarus's grave and Lazarus has been dead three days, as scripture tells us. Now we pick up in John, the chapter 11, around verse 38. The rest of the story precedes that. But here Jesus says, take away the stone. This is a command that is voiced. When we are still in our moments, are we hearing the command of the voice of God? Is, he, is his words, be still and know that I am God, echoing through the chambers of our mind? Someone I talked to this morning said, what is your meditation in the morning? What is your devotion in the morning? My devotion in the morning is almost trying to cry out to God saying, Lord, how can you have left us like this? And the words that keep coming back is, I am still in charge. I am still the one who can say, take away the storm. Only the Lord can look at something that has been dead for three days. A disease that has permeated for a year. A devastation that has taken up 365 days of people's livelihood. A disease that has put many in a hospital. A damnation so finite that countries have now blockaded their borders. A destruction so global that people are not able to see their families. A devastation so complete that those of us that have parents in nursing homes have to go and stand by the window and actually signal to them or stay some way is the way. 
A very close loved one in India has just been moved back home after having been hospitalized for a bit and being old and infirm. We had to put a chair a certain distance away from his room and tell people you cannot enter the room. What kind of finality is that? If you've lived a life of 85 years and you're now looking at a wall because the disease prevents you to have any kind of movement and a governmental and societal edict says nobody can do anything. A command that is voiced, only Jesus can say, take away the stone, take away the pain, take away the disease, take away the pandemic. Next, it says a cure that is victorious. When they look at him and say he has been dead and he's been in the tomb, Christ says, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. If you believe. Now, up until then, he has already committed or has already allowed and uh, created and permitted and conducted miracles. He has also given authority to others that if they went in his name and they proclaimed his name, that they will be able to do the same. The disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ who are now marching with him, who know that there is some kind of finality coming and realizing that in order to follow him, they will have to take up the word of God and follow through. You do realize that every, as soon as this happened, a very short while later, Jesus does meet his end. As he meets his end, what he has done is he has unleashed the power of the Holy God through the Son on the disciples to now carry forth his work. And 2,000 years later, I'm still talking about it by way of a microphone to a podcast to an audience half a world away. His words still ring true. But the word that he shares to the people there when he gets ready to perform this greatest miracle, raising someone from the dead. Right now, you may be afflicted. You may be confused. You may be uh, ashamed. You may doubt. You may have any kind of thing going on in your life. And like that soldier in our story, you may be trying to run away from it, run away from punishment, run away from order, run away from condition, run away from culture. And as you run away from it, the waters begin to rise uh, beneath you. The water begins to fall on top of you and you have to start swimming. You no longer have legs. And suddenly in your swimming, you say, Lord of my youth, Lord of my life, protect me. And then the cross of Jesus Christ amidst that water begins the only place you can perch. Granted, that story is a figurative story, but the truth of Lazarus's resurrection is evidence because they say history and archaeology later say he went on to become a bishop and there is another place where he's buried and that's his second tomb. A curse, that, a cure that is victorious. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Next, he talks to the father and says, I know that you always hear me, but I said this aloud for your benefit, for the benefit of the people, not for your benefit, for the benefit of the people. This is a commitment that is visible. First, there is a command that is voiced, Lazarus, come out. Take away the stone. Second, a cure that is victorious. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Third, a commitment that is visible. I know, Lord, as he's speaking to the Father, I know that you will always hear me, but I said it for the benefit of the people. Let me pause here for a second because over the last couple of weeks, I've been increasingly excited and increasingly eager to share with you some of the simplicity that now surrounds my life. It is during this time that we have gone through some of the greatest heartache that the Dunhams have experienced personally. This week will now mark one year since I've seen my father in India. 
As a child, I pride myself on the fact that I would make a trip to my native land three, four, five times a year. I made 75 trips to the land of my birth since I was saved. And in many of those trips, I got to see my father. Nothing gave me greater joy than flying my father to another location, housing him in a good hotel with me, eating meals with him, him encouraging me as I got up to speak, him leading my ovation when I finished speaking. There was a great, great pride that I had to have my father with me. My father, who at the age of 87 next Monday, would validate me, would write notes of encouragement to me. He continued during the pandemic of giving me that encouragement verbally by way of phone and written by way of WhatsApp. But that is now starting to fade as this man is looking flustered and frustrated as to how much more long will this depravity of uh, not being connected or this depravity in the world. Now, my father and I subscribe to different worldviews. My father believes as he was raised in the Hindu philosophy and he believes in a karmic mindset. I embrace the Judeo-Christian worldview and I believe in the uniqueness of Jesus Christ that we don't have many chances to go through this. It's one and done. So here I want you to hear the words of Jesus talking to the Father. God the Son is talking to God the Father because the people around him have to realize that this is now serious business. I know that you always hear me. So the Son always talked to the Father. There was nothing special about that moment except it had to be made public. So the commitment that he had to raising Lazarus and to fulfilling his command and his commission, which would eventually result in the death on the cross. This is all part of the journey that was prophesied. Christ knew exactly what was going on every step of the way. I jokingly tell people that here was a man who by Jewish tradition would have had to go into the carpenter's workshop and uh, he would have had to build some benches and some of those benches had to be sold. Otherwise he would trip over them and people kind of laugh tongue in cheek because after all, our Lord was a carpenter. But scripture says he was a skilled carpenter. So here was a man who was not only going to fulfill his earthly identity as the son of Joseph in Joseph's workshop as a Jewish lad at 15 would enter that workshop, but as the ordained son of God at the age of 30 would enter ministry. So 15 years he worked in the labor force. He took that hammer many a time to a nail to uh, do a joint or to create a fastening or some kind as whatever carpenters do. But every time he held that nail, he knew what it meant because he knew that there would come a time when on a piece of wood, he would be laid across breadth and hell, lengthwise and breadthwise with his legs put together and a nail driven through them, his arms stretched wide and nails driven through them. He knew what those nails meant. So here is a man who knows that part of what he is doing in front of Lazarus's tomb when he says, take away the stone. And tells the people, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. The command that is voiced, a cure that is victorious, now becomes a commitment that is visible as he speaks out loud to the Father and says, I know that you always hear me, but I said it for the benefit of the people here. They had to hear that he had been talking with the Father. And if he had been talking with the Father, as he did later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he pleaded with the Father, I know it is your will, but if there is some way you can take this cup, take it away from me. Folks, who are you crying out to? Who do you think will give you a command that is voiced? Are you hearing the command when God is saying, in my time? Are you hearing the cure that is victorious, that God who has cured everything, that is the great physician and only he can cure us from some of these maladies, both for our head and our heart. Third is this commitment that is visible. I know that you always hear me, but I said it for the benefit of the people. 
And finally, a commission that is valued. Take off his clothes and let him go. Now, before that, they said, Lord, he's been in there for three days. And I think the King James Version says he stinketh. So here was someone who was going to come out with his garments and all. Remember, when Christ came out, he appeared to Mary um, and he, to he, Mary Magdalene. He talked to her and he says, and she cried out, teacher, when she thinks he was originally, when she thought he was the gardener. But they say the garments were carefully folded or whichever way they put it because the ceremonial vestments he was wrapped with. But Christ was different. His resurrection was different. In Lazarus's case, it's just a normal person who's a friend of Jesus, just a being. Difference between the Son of God and another man, a friend of the Son of God. He says, come out. So he comes out wrapped just as he had been wrapped and put in, in all his mummified glory. And Christ is, uh, Jesus is now saying, a commission that is valued. So what he is about to be doing also has value because he says, take off his clothes and let him go. Now, whether this is this is actually the words that are described for the moment, but if you had to take a literary license, as I like to, so that scripture comes alive and it validates how we think about it. Isn't that our journey with him when we are despondent and when we are depressed and when we have doubt? Aren't we supposed to shed these garments, this disguise of this world and go forth? Aren't we supposed to remove the vestment of these, this vile vestment of societal camouflage that we wear? This disguise that we, we adopt so that we would fit in. Our churches have done a great job in this as we have sometimes disguised the true nature of the cloth that we wear. As I pointed out in a podcast the other day when I live in America right now that has become so godless and it has become so godless so quickly that it is almost scary. And as Ken Fish puts it, there is this veil, this uh, this archetype veil that seems to be over us that is not something that happened yesterday. It is a careful allowance. It's a careful acceptance of the the dark nature of what is tempting and seductive to slowly creep in. Uh, just like it did. Sodom and Gomorrah didn't evolve into their debauchery overnight. They slowly and steadily began to accept every vile and weird behavior. And as they began to accept it, and as they began to approve of it, and as they began to applaud it, suddenly one day you wake up and you look around and there is a darkness in the land. And this darkness is the vestments we wear. Whereas God is saying as he resurrects the dead and he raises from the dead, take off his clothes and let him go. Take off his clothes. So first he's speaking to us, then he's speaking to the father, and then he's addressing saying, take off his clothes and let him go. Maybe at that time he's also offering us up to the father. I don't know. But when God says to me, take off and go, I understand what he's saying. There is punishment in this world. There is clinging in this world. There is demoralization in this world. There is debauchery in this world. And this is this cloak of uh, casualty that we wear, this cloak of counterculture corruption that we embrace is what we are supposed to divest ourselves of. I love this story because besides the story being the fact of the ultimate miracle, where Jesus, who is about to face death, and is getting ready to die and rise again, raises his friend from the dead. Wouldn't you like to go around life? If people come to me, I probably can claim like Lazarus, I was not raised physically, but I was raised spiritually from the first death I died. 
And if someone asked me today, would I dare to say, Krish, twice dead friend of Jesus, which means one time I did die and I rose spiritually where my old death was final. It was a death that was sealed with his blood. It was washed and cleansed with his sacrifice. So when I go through those valleys where the ravines, the water is filling up, where the downpour and the deluge from, from above is so severe, and I'm looking for an outcropping of some kind that I can cling to, and when the first light of morn breaks and I look around at the debris and the destruction of the world that is callously fallen, and I'm clinging to the cross of Jesus Christ, and I realize I have hope, I can believe in this command that is voiced, I can believe in this cure that is victorious, I can believe in this commitment that is visible, and I can believe believe in this commission that is valued. What will you believe in this week? What will you hear this week? What will you claim as victorious this week? And what will you see as visible this week on the hand of God? And that concludes another episode of The Pursuit of Purpose with Krish Dunham brought to you by Skylife Success. Please subscribe, rate, and visit us on the web at krishdunham.com and skylifesuccess.com where you can find our social media links and access to additional resources. Till next time, happy learning and happy living.